Alright, so we're in the book of Acts here in the summer series. We've got a couple more weeks going after this. Uh, as you recall, we've been talking a lot about how Acts is the first chapter of the story of the Christian church. And that, that the book of Acts doesn't actually end. It never has a climax. It keeps going and we're still living in it today. And so as we look back to Acts, which is the single piece of history in the Bible of the Christian church, it gives us many prescriptions for how we can live, for choices we can make, for things we can do. And so as we've been looking at that, we've looked at the Great Commission, Jesus' commission to us as believers to take our faith, to go into the world, to preach this good news, to share it with others and to help each other become followers, disciples of that. And so we know that part of the Great Commission is, as we talked about last week, taking the Great Commission into your ecos, your sphere of influence. Anybody take the gospel into their sphere of influence this week? Come on, somebody did. Where's Jesse? Jesse told me. He did. I did. I think each one of us did, whether we knew it or not, we were doing that. And I think there's something, as I've read through Acts, there's one facet of our sphere of influence, the community we live in, that I I keep seeing these apostles, they keep bumping into a particular segment of their sphere of influence. And that segment is the government and the governing authorities. And so for us in America, dealing with authority and politics and, and government and, is a big deal, isn't it? I mean, how many of us are sick of it <laughs> this summer, amen? Super sick of it. Can we just be done with it and move on? And everybody's got strong opinions, right, Luke? <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Everybody has a strong opinion about government And even people who don't have a strong opinion about government have a strong opinion about not having a strong opinion about government. And so it's an issue we find that we are living in acts. And we are still bumping against government and authority. Now, in American history, we live in kind of a, a really special place where a couple hundred years ago, these guys got together and said, let's start a new form of government new authority and let's make it limited let's make it small let's make it restrained in power we've come from this place of kings and rulers and we want to make it small we want to restrain it and so they came up with the constitution and the laws of the land that we live in and over time over 200 years that government that oversight that influence has grown and grown and grown to where we have an increased governmental authority. Now, before you go, try to get your hackles up, oh, politics, we're not going to debate whether that's a good or a bad thing. We're not going to talk about that today. I'm not worried about that. That's just history. It was small and now it's big. Okay, we live where it's big and there's a lot of government influence. So what do we do with that? Now you can do you can do research on this. You can talk about oh, government interaction, and there's all kinds of things you can do. But I think we can all agree the laws are in place, generally speaking, for our good. And then there are some laws that are not good, and then there's some laws that are probably neutral. 
We would ask, why do we even have those laws? But that's a whole other discussion, right? But here's the point. We live in a culture and a society where there is an ever-increasing interaction with authorities. How many of you pay taxes? Hopefully all of you. Raise your hand. If you don't, we should have a conversation later. I feel like every year, and maybe it's my life, but every year I file a tax return, it gets more and more complicated and more of this and that and this thing overlooking that thing. And Or if you have a business or you work in a business or you own property. Some of you know my background and I continue to practice as an architect. And the building code is gone in just the 15 years I've been doing it from one little book to a big book to multiple big books of law. And that's an interaction with authority. Right or wrong, it's an interaction. We have to do that. There's health codes. There's so many different laws, things going on, and we have that interaction with authority. Then there's the legal system. Anybody deal with the courts? I actually had to go try to deal with something with the courts this week. It's very complex. It's very complicated. And then there's the police and other peace officers. And I know that's a very hot-button issue in our culture right now, but that is where we have to interact. And a lot of people are asking those questions of how do I interact with these people who are the officers of the peace? So how do we navigate all of this? Well, our tendency is we've been learning about the tendency as humans is we're going to kind of go to one side or the other. We're going to go to a truth side say, oh, the truth is this. So, for example, the truth is, oh, government is bad, and so I reject it. Right? That's a truth response. Or we go to a grace side and we go, well, you know, the government's really in control, and they're there, and so I'll just obey and do what they say. But what do we see in the book of John? John 1.17, he says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so somehow as believers, we're called to hold on to both truth and grace. And we're supposed to hold on to both truth and grace as we interact with authority and our government. And so fortunately, the book of Acts gives us a prescription for interacting with authorities in this way, with truth and grace. The apostles model this for us. So, today, our title is... See what I did there? Interacting with authorities. I thought interacting would be a little much. So, you hopefully you have a handout here. Uh, does everybody get a handout or a pen or whatever? I think they're going around. Uh, and you'll see there's a series of verses. I went through Acts, and I thought, and there's, maybe there's even more, that this was my take on the, the clearest interactions between new Christian believers and government authorities. And there's a dozen of them there. And so we're going to read all dozen of them. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to read all of those. We're going to read two. I'm going to have them on the screen. It's probably the easiest way to follow along. So the first one we're going to do is in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. And this is about Peter and John. And they're before the Sanhedrin. So the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Here comes the authority. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. 
But many who heard the message believed. The number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. So the authorities, they came together. Annas the high priest was there, so was Caiaphas. John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, or hey authorities, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you, authorities, and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say, so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. See, they're trying to exercise their authority here. They called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So that's the first very clear interaction in Acts between the apostles and authorities. And then you go on in Acts chapter 5, we see the apostles arrested, they escape from prison, they preach, they get flogged, they get released again. In Acts chapter 6, we see the whole, and 7, we see uh, Stephen be arrested, he gives a great speech, and then he's executed. In Acts chapter 12, Herod arrests Peter, Peter ends up escaping, and then Herod dies. Kind of his consequence for that. Acts chapter 13, dealing with these authorities, and they get thrown out of town, and the apostles shake the dust off their sandals. Then we get to Acts chapter 16. I thought I'd read this. This is about Paul and Silas in prison. So they're in this town, and the crowd joined in the attacks against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. That's an exercise of authority. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Here we get that peace officer, that police officer. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. 
The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your ecos, your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, Release those men. The jailer told Paul, Magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. Kind of like, why did he wait so long to tell him that? And they threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, the authorities were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. So that's Acts chapter 16. Then it goes on in Acts chapter 17. There's an incident with a guy uh, named Jason who gets beaten by the authorities. In Acts chapter 18, there's a Roman consul named Gallio. And he interacts with the Christian church. In Acts chapter 19, in Ephesus, there's a city clerk. And he he stops a riot. There's a riot starting about Christianity. And he uses the rule of law to quiet the crowd. In Acts 22, Paul once again uses his Roman citizenship to say, hey, what are you doing to me? In Acts chapter 23, Paul stands before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem. And then, of course, in Acts Acts chapters 24 to 26, Paul stands before King Agrippa and the Roman consul Festus. And there's this great interaction and exchange there with authority. So, there we go. There's 12 incidents in Acts, and we read through a couple of them here. And I think as I look at those, I come to four conclusions. Four conclusions of how we as believers should interact with authority. There's a prescription here for us. And here's four things. The first one is, has to do with our view. I gain the proper view of authorities. I need to view authorities in the right way. And I do this through a couple things. The first one is that when I understand my true identity is as a creation of God. My true identity. I really think the challenge we have when it comes to government and morality is that our culture has lost the sense that our identity is being a creation of God. Ephesians chapter 2 says we are His workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The world tries to tell us because the world has said, you know what? There's no God. We just sort of evolved from chance and we sort of showed up out of nothing. And maybe even there was a God, it's still all by chance. And so he didn't really have power. If he didn't really have power, then he doesn't have moral authority. And there's no identity in that. And so the world says your identity is in what you do. Your identity is in what you do. But the Bible doesn't tell us. It says our identity is that we are a creation of God. Our identity really is in who created you. 
Why are we so tied to our parents? Because they're involved in that process. We come from them. And so when you're reconciled to God, we understand, okay, our, our, our identity is God has created us, and so there's an identity, but oh, something is broken. Yeah, that something broken is our sin. And it separates us from God, but we understand God has made a way that we can regain that identity. Remember last week we drew the circles and we get our identity back into God's design through Christ Jesus. It says in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So my identity is now in Christ. It's not just that Christ created me. He redeemed me. He reconciled me to him, assuming that I've chosen that. And so we have to understand that the root issue is identity. And we could do a whole series on identity. I'd love to talk to you about it sometime, but this is just a taste. I must understand my true identity is that I am a creation of God. And the authorities come after that. And to go along with that, I have to understand that when I see myself as God's creation, I begin to properly see those governmental authorities not as the source of morality, but as protectors or inhibitors of morality. See, that's the problem, I think. A, a root problem in our culture is that when our culture says there is no God, there is a vacuum of morality. There is a vacuum for a source of morality. And so people get so excited about, we got to have the government change the laws or say this, as if that will make something moral. Well, if there's a vacuum of morality, then they are the ones who state there's morality. But we know that that's not true. Amen? I also gain the proper view of authorities when I understand that freedom is from God. Freedom is from God. Freedom is not from the U.S. Constitution. Freedom is from God. 2 Corinthians 3.17 on the screen there says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It doesn't say anything about authorities. It says the freedom comes from God. We see that elsewhere in Galatians and other places. And so we have to remember this, that government protects or restricts freedom, but it does not create it. It does not create it. There's an important distinction there, I think, that's going to help us have a right perspective, a right view of authorities. Okay, so their second conclusion is that I can have respect for authorities. I can properly respect authorities. And I get to do that when I see them as established by God. I'm going to read a passage to you from Romans chapter 13. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. He had to say it twice. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. 
Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants. Agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. I love this. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, pay revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And so it's very clear from this passage, God has set up the authorities and he is in control. Amen? And so I need to see these authorities as established by God and then I begin to have a respect for them. As I respect anything God has done. I can also respect them when I see them as people. Authorities are not some thing, it's people. And those people may need to be reconciled to God too. Remember Romans 3.23? Remember, remember madness? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many have sinned? All. Does that include me? Does that include you? Does that include the people in authority? Yeah, it does. So we need to see authorities as humans, people with lives, people with families, people who sin, people who have faith, or could have faith. There's a great joke, so I'm letting you know this is a joke here. Uh, I, my co-pastor Brad works for the state government, I know maybe a number of you may work in government positions, but why do government employees stare out, why do they not stare out the window in the morning? Because then they wouldn't have anything to do in the afternoon. <laughs> now we just rib them and you know what, we can come up with all kinds of architect jokes and pastor jokes and that's fine, that's just a good nature ribbing. This one time, I think kind of the, the ultimate interface with government, right, is the Department of Motor Vehicles, Amen. <laughs> There was one time when I was a teenager and I was in the Department of Motor Vehicles and I saw a man with his son. His son was like probably about 15 and they'd showed up on like a Saturday and they were trying to get his learner's permit. And they waited in line probably an hour and a half and they got to the counter and it was only once they got to the counter that they realized that the Department of Motor Vehicles did not offer learner's permits on Saturdays. And this father snapped. And this father said many things. <laughs> Colorful things to the people. Have any of you seen that movie Zootopia? The sloths? I thought about putting that clip up. It was, it was too hard to put together and took too much time. But that's how we start to see those people. Is, ah, there's someone to rail against and they don't know what they're doing. And it's a challenge and the machine and they hate it. But over the past couple years I've developed a friend. In Utah, his name is Caleb, and he works at the Department of Motor Vehicles. And he has three kids and a wife, and he leads worship at his church, and he's a person. And it's helped me understand that these people who sit behind these desks and do this job, not only are they people, but God has put them there. And I need to respect them, I need to love them. 
And I think about police officers, ooh, the hot button issue, our culture. And those police officers are people with very deep needs. And they stand out there on the front line and they see things most of us hope we never even see on a YouTube video. And there's a lot of trauma there. And some of you don't even, may, may not even know this, we don't necessarily advertise this. There's a group of first responders who meets here on Sunday nights to try to work together through post-traumatic stress disorder and other challenges of having that job. And we're so thankful that they meet here and we're glad to provide a space for them because we realize that is authority and those are people and they're putting their lives on the line for us. And so we need to see the humanity of people in government, whether they're police officers or the person behind the desk of the DMV. And when we see them as people, when you sit down with them, to interact with them, you begin to have compassion and empathy and maybe even respect. Third conclusion I think we get out of Acts is that I can obey or disobey authorities. I can obey or disobey and I will do the right thing when I have a proper knowledge of governing laws. There, back in Romans 13, when I read before, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. He goes on there to talk about the taxes and so forth. And I think there's an implication in this passage that we have to know what the law is. Not knowing the law is not an excuse. We need to know it and respect it. And furthermore, I can obey or disobey authorities when I am first allegiant to God's morality. When I am first allegiant to God's morality. Right there in Acts chapter 5, they said to Peter and the other apostles, they said, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching. We told you not to do this. Why did you do this? And Peter says this, we must obey God rather than human beings. We must obey God rather than human beings. So, it's very clear to me from this, we are to obey God's moral law when the law of the land contradicts God's morality. Yet, there's this passage we just read, they called the apostles in and had them flogged and they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And so we got to remember we are still subject to the authority, even if it is immoral. We are still subject to the authority. It may be an immoral law, and I may have to ultimately disobey it, but I'm still subject to that authority. And these guys suffered, they suffered gladly. And I think as government grows and the culture shifts, there's going to come a time. Where we're going to have to suffer. Maybe a little more than we do now. And we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about suffering from Acts. And that's a question I think we need to all take away. Is will we suffer gladly. When we have to choose between God's morality. And a, a morality that's not God's. And will we still be subject to the authority? I think that's the model given us in Acts. So the fourth conclusion is that. When we talk about fear. Oh, I don't want to be afraid of authority. 
But we see in Acts, I can lose my fear, fear of authorities when I understand that God is sovereign. When I understand God's sovereignty, I lose my fear. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five: Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. It's very simple. God is in control. Amen? God is in control. And when God is in control, and he has established that authority, right? That we saw, that authority is established by God. He's in control. He established the authority. Then, what do I have to fear? I don't have anything to fear from the authorities. I know that God is in control. I know that God is over all. So then also, I can choose to live in faith, by faith, and not by fear or sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We live by faith, not by sight. It doesn't get much simpler than that. We live by faith, not by sight. And so if I am living by faith, and my faith is in God, and his control, and his trust, and I've set my identity in him, and the fact that I am a creation who is now reconciled to him through Christ, and I follow that morality, I don't have to fear. I don't have to walk by sight. And this is a way of life, and it's a way of life that affects everything, including interacting with authorities. So, as we close here, I wanted to go ahead and put all of those things back up there again. Remembering that we get... To gain a proper view of authorities, we understand our identity. We understand where freedom comes from. We get to respect our authorities when we see them established, as established by God. And we see them as people who may even need to be reconciled to him. We can obey or disobey when we have a proper knowledge of governing laws and when we have an allegiance to God's morality. And then we lose our fear when we understand that God is in control. And then we choose to live by faith and not by fear or by sight. Let's pray. Hey God, I thank you for laying out a roadmap for us in your word, for giving us a pattern of those first Christians who sometimes did the right thing and maybe sometimes didn't quite do the right thing, but they gave us a pattern and a prescription by which we can walk even in our culture 2,000 years later. And God, there's not a single one of us who is a hermit who lives in this culture, in this land, who can go and run and hide and have no interaction with the governing authorities. And yet we remember that you established those governing authorities. And yet as we understand that and we we learn to be in submission to those authorities, we realize that we're in submission to your morality. Because our identity is in you. We are your creation. You are the source of morality, of truth, of right and wrong. And we know that those authorities, however it works out, they may in some ways do good, other ways do bad. God, we declare we're allegiant to you and we're submitted to the authorities that you've set before us. Lord, as we walk in this, this week, and we think about how am I living out this good news, and how am I sharing it with others, and how am I reaching the world with Jesus? 
starting here in my own life. Lord, give us each opportunities as we interact with authorities to show respect and honor and see those individuals as someone who may also need to be reconciled to you. Someone to whom the good news applies just as much as it does to me. Help us as we go through this day and this week. Thank you for the truth. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.